0: Welcome to the Launchpad Jamf Admin Podcast hosted by Rocketman, where we keep you on the cutting edge of what's happening in the world of Apple and Jamf administration. Starting with the Launchpad Times, we bring your Apple and Jamf news down to earth and then go into a keynote where we take a deep dive into a relevant topic.
1: As people keep pouring in, uh, I'm a little bit out of form. I haven't done a Mac admin meetup, I feel like in a couple months uh, with some family and some vacations recently. So it's good to be back here and good to see some more familiar faces. Um, And then also see some names that I don't think I recognize. So if this is your, oh my goodness. If this is your first Mac admin meetup, welcome. Uh, We are Rocketman Tech. It's myself, Chris Shazi, Chad Lawson, Hugo Mediato, and Zach Hirschman. So if you're a Rocketman guy, put your hand up. I think we're the only ones with our cameras on. Yeah. (laughs) Sweet. And we've been doing this Mac admin meetup for over a year now. We do them monthly. We try to do the first Friday of every single month. Um, And this is where we'll prepare a keynote to go over a latest, greatest, or a cool thing that we're doing, a workaround, something that we think a lot of people might uh, be struggling with or have insights on. Um, We'll also do the Gravity Times, which is where we take the latest in Apple news and rumors and bring it down to earth. Um, But as I say, in pretty much all of the meetups that we do, I I think in every meetup we learn just as much as we teach. We have a lot of really smart people on here. So if we we say something wrong, or if there's uh, some other insight that we might be missing, or if you just have any questions that we might not be hitting on, please feel free to raise your hand, pop it in the chat, open up, turn on your mic and interrupt us, whatever you feel comfortable with to interject with, please don't hesitate. Um, I'm sure we have a lot of content to get through now. I know Chad will be our our keynote speaker for this presentation. And unless I'm wrong, I think Chris will be doing the Gravity Times this week or this month. Excellent. So with that said, I think we'll go ahead and get started. Chris, do you have all the uh, sharing permissions?
0: Beautiful. Yep, so I'll go ahead and start this. All right, Um, if you've never joined us before, this is the Gravity Times. This is where news is always down to earth and we go over all the latest macOS, iOS, iPadOS, and JAMP updates. Um, As far as Apple updates, The latest versions, as of today, are iOS and iPadOS 15.5 and MacOS 12.4. One main feature I wanna go over is lockdown mode. Um, I don't know a ton about this. I just learned about this right before the meetup, Um, but this is coming with iOS 16. It's also going to be with MacOS Ventura. So this is really cool. Um, But this is basically something that you're able to turn on if you want extra privacy on your device, if there's like any spyware or something like that, or if you're traveling to an area with a government that you're a little bit suspicious of, um, you can turn on lockdown mode and it will basically turn off most of the the features of the device and just keep it to like basic messages and stuff like that. Um, Does anyone else have any more comments on lockdown mode
2: and how this works? All I have are poor jokes that we can skip.
0: Perfect. Um, Does anyone else have any new things that happened in the last couple iOS or macOS releases that they wanna share or have any
2: questions about? Awesome, I'll take
0: that interested silence um, to mean that we should move on. So next we're gonna talk about the Jamf updates. Um, So 10.39 launched since our last meetup. So I'm going to actually turn it over to Zach to talk through some of these features. Um, So take it away, Zach.
3: Thanks, Chris. Um, This is my first Rocketman meetup. So hi, I'm I'm Zach. Uh, I'm also newish at at Rocketman, formerly worked at Jamf, and before that, a high school math teacher. Uh, Jamf Pro 10.39 has some really cool Cool new features, the healthcare listener app refresh is gonna help a lot of um, healthcare organizations to um, reduce their device cycling time. Basically, instead of having to wipe the whole device and reprovision it, um, you can just delete the apps and their associated data so as to preserve patient privacy without making the device set up all the way again. Uh, the redesigned to user-initiated enrollment, in my opinion, was long overdue um, and should just look a little bit better and feel a little bit better. And then finally, the smart group dependency reporting, which I put a screenshot of here on the right. Um, I think of this as inverse scope, right? If you used a tool like the scope report, um, you know that this is possible with the API, but for Jamf to put this in product um, is really, really useful, right? Just, hey, what's what's going to the smart group in one click? Now we know. Cool.
0: Next, we're going to talk through the resolved issues.
3: Yeah, I, uh, sorry. I should have should have set this up better. There's a couple of slides here with with some some minor points about this release, and then one big one. Um, there's some improvements to certificate handling. Things like if a variable had a comma in it, Jamf Pro didn't handle it properly before this release. Um, certain retry behaviors are, are improved. So if you tried to uh, if you tried to deploy a certificate previously and we're running into one of those issues, um, definitely worth another shot. And then lots of performance enhancing fixes, and, and I called out 9639 in particular. I realize that doesn't mean much on the outside, um, but the context I wanna to give to it is that Jamp is, uh, and Jamp Pro in particular is, is a really robust and broad product and uh, has a lot of, lot of different pieces talking to each other. Jamp is very good at fixing the high visibility, high impact um product issues this is one that was very low visibility but had a sneaky high impact and i'm really pleased to see jamf is uh is is doing these things that aren't necessarily as visible um to those who are looking at it from the outside but under the hood really going to help a lot of instances
0: cool and then finally talk through the intune conditional access changes
3: Yeah, and I want to be sure I I highlight the minor one (laughs) as well, right? If you have um, the manual connection to Intune, um, there's a permissions change that's immediate. But long-term, Jamf Pro is, uh, Jamf seems to be looking to deprecate this feature for on-prem, right? Um, Jamf Pro seems to be looking at replacing the partner device management connection with Intune for macOS conditional access, with a partner compliance management integration, which will require a cloud-to-cloud connection. It's what's currently in place for iOS device compliance. It's similar to how the Google integration works and nothing is happening yet, right? This is uh, this is all kind of broad timeline, but it's a big one. And it's one that um, good organizations will prepare for.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, and someone was asking a question, is this just for on-prem instances? The in tune changes.
3: Yeah, the official notice from Jamf is that uh, conditional access on premise support is uh, officially slated to be deprecated in the future.
0: Oh wow, that's kind of interesting.
3: So if you're yeah, on premise, the, the specific link here in the in the chat. Um, but yeah, they, well, they kind of tried to bury other... this one a few a few pages deep, and it's a big deal.
0: Yeah, hopefully they'll have some way for on premise. Um, customers that are using conditional access to have some other way to move forward without having to move over to the cloud. But
3: it's, it's all very new, but I migrate. think that a lot of these, yeah, I think that the, the idea is that a lot of these integrations are going to require cloud to cloud because Jamf can't, can't build the integrations with the other vendors whilst guaranteeing that everyone's on-prem server is secure, at least as I understand it, right? This is still pretty new, um, but yeah. it's something pure, uh,
1: pure speculation here. Does this feel like kind of a soft way to push people off-prem. I know Jamf has wanted to do that for a while, but does this kind of feel like a, a tactical
3: move? Um, I'm sure that no one's like complaining at the tactical effects, but ultimately this this was done because of the way that the integration between Microsoft and Jamf Pro, uh, between Microsoft Endpoint Manager and Jamf Pro happens. And um, specifically because of permissions updates from Microsoft Endpoint Manager that on-prem Jamf Pro can't, can't quite get around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's a good idea to, to move to the cloud if you wanna integrate with other cloud-based services anyways, um, yeah. but yeah, it does kind of feel like, tactically, Jamf will be very happy if everyone affected by this moves to the cloud.
0: I don't think Jamf, are, Jamf is alone in that battle. Pretty sure all vendors are trying to move people to the cloud. Yeah. Cool. Um, And then last part of the Gravity Times, uh, we would like to ask if anyone has any feature requests that they'd like upvoted. Um, We have quite a few people on this call, so this is a great way to get some upvotes to those feature requests and make sure that Jam sees them. So go ahead and drop a link in the chat and feel free to speak up if you want to talk through any feature requests that you have. And again, it's worth noting that we have no control over feature requests,
4: meaning just if you have some you're aware of or that you've created and you want to bring awareness to the community. I remember the one time we, we, we brought up feature requests and people thought we were actually gonna be able to implement them. And now that Zach's here, maybe we have more power. I don't know.
3: <laughs> I feel like there's more power on the outside than I did it on the inside to get feature requests. <laughs> so, um, but it's still interesting to talk about
0: i um, trying to look at the one that, that Tom posted, but now it's gotten me out of the presentation and <laughs> I'm trying to like log in to, to my Jamf ID. Streamline self-service patch install process. Uh, feel free to talk about this, Thomas, if you want to. If not, I'll just keep reading it Uh, and talking about it?
5: Yeah, sure. So uh, some of our folks were noticing that when there's more than one patch available in self-service, it takes uh, a lot longer than they think it should for all the patches to install. And it turns out that's because for each patch, uh, self-service is mounting the file share, downloading and installing the patch, unmounting the file share and cleaning up a daemon, then remount the file share, get the next patch, install it, unmount cleanup and in the logs that unmount unmounting cleanup can take anywhere i've seen 30 seconds to up to four minutes or more um wow Yet, if you well, check a log around. on yeah if you check a log on a computer that has uh is scoped to get all their patches automatically it mounts the file share downloads and installs patch one downloads and installs patch two and so on then unmounts the file share and does the cleanup um mm-hmm. so yeah if if uh the self-service patches could work that way. That would be a huge improvement to our end users.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely an oversight by Jam. So hopefully, hopefully they'll fix that soon.
5: Here's hoping.
2: Got my vote. Thank you. All right, Um, I'll assume that's all
0: we have and I will stop sharing. Um, I'd like to introduce our next topic before I uh, give it over to Chad. Uh, So this is a topic that me and Chad have actually been talking about for quite a while, because the discussion was always, um, how do we secure the username and password that we pass through a script in order to do API calls on a user's computer? So there's a lot of different scenarios for one reason or another. Maybe it's changing static group membership on a computer, maybe it's uh, pulling an asset tag or something else from the API in order to run a script. Maybe it's changing inventory on the user's computer that we're running the script on. Uh, but there's a lot of times where we need to run Jamf API calls from a computer that we're deploying it through. Um, and what we found is like, no matter what we do, whether we throw the username and password into parameters, whether we encrypt that string, whether we use base 64, it doesn't really matter. There is some way for the user to be able to grab those credentials and now they have access to Jam Pro. Um, So we really limit our API accounts. The user doesn't get that much access if they were to even do this, Um, but it's still something where I've always been looking for a better solution. And now with their authentication, we're we're most the way there to doing that, but there was still, um, we still kind of had the same issue. Because bearer authentication tokens are only temporary, um, so what Chad is going to present on is a way that really secures being able to do API calls from the user's computer. Because instead of doing it on the user's computer itself, we're bringing that API call to another service. So with that, I'll let I'll let Chad um, <laughs> talk about it more and how it works. But I'm really excited to. Talk about this feature and start implementing it in our environment.
4: Oh, cool. I just need to get all the way there we go. All right. I will trust that people are seeing things the way So yeah, as uh, as was described in the, the introduction, there's there's been a number of challenges when it comes to doing API scripting, um, all those different scripts that we run in Jamf policies, where we need to be able to interact with the API. It's There's always been a certain number of challenges, but now as there are different changes within Jamf, changes within the Mac OS, there are new challenges we're needing to get used to. Um, and I wanna talk about the different, the different options that are, ex- that are there as well as um, kind of a, a, a very different approach that I've been taking. Uh, so let's talk about what the basic scenario looks like. And it's a lot of what, what Chris mentioned. The, the notion that, um, let's say I've got a policy script and as part of my onboarding workflow, I wanna rename the computer. So much of what I normally put into a renamed computer script is already accessible to the computer itself. If I want to get the username, great. I can get that a bunch of different ways, um, including but not limited to the Jamf default parameters itself. If I want to determine, as I've had clients, is, is this a laptop or a desktop, meaning is it staying put or is it going home? Well, fine. I can just simply look at the model name um, from system profiler and see if it has the word book in it. If so, it's a laptop. If not, it's a desktop. Um, I remember freaking out when I when they announced the new the studio and thinking I was going to have to rewrite some of my scripts. Luckily, again, still just the word book instantly means it's a laptop. Everything else is a desktop. But for some of the things that we end up dealing with our clients, what if we need to be able to get at information that's in Jamf, but not necessarily on the computer? Um, the most likely example that we keep running into is, is the asset tag. And by the way, this is, a very, this is just one example of needing to be able to interact within the API, interact with the API within the context of a Jamf policy script. Um, so for the example, if, if a customer wanted us to be able to name the computer In this case, D1234, the desktop 1234 for the asset tag and then the user's name. Okay, great. Um, In this particular scenario, the biggest challenge that we already know those, and some of them Chris already covered, kind of like when you go to a movie and you see the movie trailer and it already tells you a lot of the story. Um, Chris covered a good chunk of this for me, but for the moment that that script runs, that script exists on the computer in a place that if somebody has admin rights and they know what they're doing, they can actually just copy that script and then they can see everything your script is doing, including those calls to the API. Um, Now, if I was crazy enough to have included, like in some of my very early days of of API scripting, if I included a username and password, you know, for minus U username, minus P password, or even did the, username colon password scenario, or even if I get to using the um, basic authentication system of doing the base64 encoded version of user colon password, all those things we learned in the 200 and 300 classes, um, in all of those cases, that information not only might exist within the script, but even if I'm clever enough to put it into the policy parameters and then pass that into my script... Anybody who's watching the process table, who's watching activity monitor, who's watching within the terminal, when that script runs, you see each and every single one of those parameters and I can capture that. And it just, not to belabor the point, it becomes a, uh, an arms race. You're always trying to, there are different ways around it from, from the basic C4 encoding and also using JAMP has a library for encrypted strings. That's difficult to maintain over the long haul, in my opinion. Plus, you're still, you've given three pieces, the salt, the key, and the encrypted string. It's You're still passing all three pieces of information one way or another. The encrypted strings wasn't meant to keep the end user from being able to get at the information. It was meant that if you had somebody in IT that you didn't want to give the keys to the kingdom, you can encrypt it, and therefore, they can have the policy stuff, but they can, but they might be able to make the policy and, and deploy the script, but they may not have access to scripts. It was the idea of being able to separate that information out, but we're still dealing with the exact same scenario it has been a problem with information and security forever. You can't pass secure data and the key to unlocking that secure data in the same channel, uh, in the same communications system. And that's what we're doing. So, on top of that, though, we have some additional challenges coming up. A couple of months ago, uh, I presented on some changes that were coming in with the API. Now, when you do right now, as things stand at this moment, if I'm using the classic API, which most of the endpoints I access in my Jam scripts, all use the classic API. Um, I just simply pass in that username and password or the base64 encoded string, and I get the information. As of whatever version it was, Jamf has enabled the ability to do token-based authentication. So now I go to the Jamf Pro API, and I request a token but I still have to, for that particular interaction, pass in my username and password. It hasn't fixed it, but I get back this token. And then from, for the next 15 minutes, I have a valid token that I can make call after call after call with only passing in that token and it's ephemeral and will go away. Well, but I still had to get give out my username and password to do that. So the same challenges we already had of how do I pass around that secure information still apply. But also on top of that, we're now starting to deal, starting with authentication. We're starting to deal with the JAMF Pro API, the newer API, which everything is done returned in JSON. With the classic API, we could request either XML or JSON data. And for those of us who have been doing this for a long time, and especially if you take one of the 400 classes, they show us the uh, the tools like XML lint and XPath to be able to that are that are already bundled with the Mac OS. And I wanna emphasize that it's, this is a command line tool that is bundled with the Mac OS. This is not built into the shell. Anything I'm doing within the shell, I'm still calling out to external tools um, to to manipulate this data. And now all of a sudden we're putting the emphasis on JSON, which is a good thing. JSON is a really good format for this. The problem is, as you'll see in a second, I don't really have the same levels of, of tools that I did. Um another changing landscape thing that hasn't I, I would be interested to hear, and I know I've got a couple of things in chat I need to reply to in a little bit. Um, but I'd be interested to know if if when it was changed from the default shell of bash to Z shell, did anybody have any of their scripts break? Um I was thinking about it uh earlier this week. I had exactly one because the way oh, sorry. something about the way there? one of the tests functions, uh the built-in functions for the shell. Changed, broke, but that was incredibly minor, but Apple has changed shells once, who knows actually twice uh, the the default shell has changed in history um, who knows if it would happen again and then also the 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 other cha- cha- challenges that we're facing are the tools that we use our shell scripts interact with have been changing, uh, most notably um, the easiest way to manipulate json data is python well mac apple finally got rid of finally got rid of python 2.7 um but they didn't bundle three they didn't bundle anything anymore um so what are some possible solutions how can we how can we deal with not only the the security challenges like chris mentioned but also this changing landscape well First of all, one tool that we do have already existing in our repertoire is PLUtil. PLUtil, Property List Utility. Great for manipulating property lists, for being able to change the preferences, instead of having to do to the old days of Composer and and doing fill existing users, fill user templates to push out property lists. PLUtil and defaults read and write can simply change the property lists in place. PLUtil in Monterey has also gained the ability to, um, extract information from JSON based property lists, which means that while it is not at all designed to do this, PLUtil can be used instead of reading a file, you can take that data you receive from the API, cram it into PLUtil and extract the one key you need in this case, what's the token. But if I'm going to be doing elaborate, where I need to pull out lots of information from the new Champ Pro API, I need a more robust tool than that. Now, the other way that people have found <laughs> to, uh, to get at that token, uh, Rich Troughton, or sorry, uh, the first one was Rich Troughton. Richard Purvis did a uh, blog post about, one a method that he did was within his shell script, After he got that data back from, from the API, he then called an Apple script and had Apple script run JavaScript in order to parse the JSON. Even just saying that makes my skin crawl. That is not having one in the recursion that goes on like inception to tunnel the way down just makes, makes me crazy. Um, okay. So what are some better approaches? Uh, and I emphasize better slash, and better is an arguable term here, right? Um, Like I said, plutil was not meant for extracting one piece of JSON from a variable. Um, Having nested things is not ideal. Some better approaches as far as using the right tool for the right job, jq, uh, json query, is a simple little Unix command And I could deploy this either with Composer, I could deploy it with Brew, I can deploy it a bunch of different ways, uh, running a script to call Brew, whatever I need um, to put JQ on all of my computers that are gonna be running my scripts, like my renamed script, in order to be able to interact with the API. Another option, as I've mentioned before, I still think arguably the best tool is using Python, specifically Python 3. Yes, I can grab Python from some source. I can grab it from GitHub and I can deploy it to all of my computers just like I would with any other package. I can also use built-in tools to uh, command-line tools to have it install the xcode command tool. Um, Bruce, I believe in my previous discussion of this, was able to riddle off quickly the uh, the size of just doing the xline command tools just to be able to parse JSON was still something like 800 meg, I believe. And then the other option is simply through uh, VPP or through the, through the app store, I can deploy all of Xcode to be able to get at that. Now we're deploying a couple of gigabytes just to parse JSON, just to deploy the results of the Jamp Pro API um, nicely. So, okay, as, as Chris mentioned, this has been, we've been discussing this for a long time. What's a better approach? And again, the word better is, uh, I think it's a talking moose bill um, has the idea of it's not necessarily a um, best practice, but a better practice. So, what's a potentially a a better practice in this? Keep things, I want to keep things lightweight. I want to keep things, I want to deal with that security concern that Chris mentioned earlier. How can I? interact with the API? How can I have every single one of the computers, every one of my Jamf managed computers be able to interact with the API without adding an extra level of complexity to it? So let's think way outside the box, like outside the physical piece of hardware box you're running. We can use a number of different no-code integration systems, some I'm sure you've heard of, some I hadn't heard of until a few months ago. Um, IFT.com, if this, then that. Uh, Zapier, uh, I did a demo using Zapier not that long ago. Um, make.com, it's called Make Now. If you knew it before, you might have known it as Integramat. They just made the final switchover. A couple of others I, I had originally on this slide deck, Automate.io, but Automate has already been sunset. So I wouldn't recommend a solution to you that only has six months left of life on it. And the last one on here, N8N, I have a little uh, note next to that because with all of these, you are the the additional potential security concern. And I emphasize potential. It depends on your particular security teams and your own comfort. You are sending data outside your organization to a cloud system to be able to parse information for you. Uh, N8N, which I believe is built on Node-RED from the look of things, has you can either sign up for their cloud service or for completely free it's an open source system you can deploy n8n to have your own automation system inside your network um you can run it on any basic computer you can put it in a vm you can run it as as others have and uh, i briefly tinkered with run it on a raspberry pi so you can just send that data locally uh and then get the information back uh in, in all these cases please do keep in mind even if you were to have that local, you are still then making calls out to the API anyway. So you're still sending information outside your network. Uh, but I also want to point out a couple of the big guns, the big names in this world. AWS has its Lambda functions. Google Cloud has all of its different coding. You can use one of these bigger, more well-known, more... I don't want to quite use the word trusted depending uh, based on the people in the room, but those names that you're... you're Security teams are going to be more likely to say, okay, if you're going to be sending information outside. Um, Okay, well, what does all this look like? I want to show off kind of what I've been uh, a, a very simple example of this. So if I can get this to work. Hopefully, if all goes well and I need to move all of you because I can't see around myself at this point. There we go. Can I get a thumbs up that you have a window here showing make.com and over here some code?
1: I'll give you an audible thumbs
4: up. Audible thumbs up is perfect considering I just minimized all of your windows. Okay. So what I have here, this is this is Make.com. Um, I figured I showed Zapier before. I could show Make this time. So I generate a webhook. Uh, this is and they have integrations with a lot of different systems. But I generate a webhook. It gives me the URL. I can then just take that URL and send data to it. Um, from there, I'm using a service called. Uh, one SAS, one SAS, however you pronounce that um, to be able to run my Python code. So here I just simply paste in my code uh, and you'll notice that when I hover over this, it emphasizes the webhook. It's able to detect the inputs of one function and what the outputs would be to the next one, Uh, trying to read this code in here. I figure it's going to be horrible, which is why I have it over here. Now I know not everyone in the room uh, is fluent in Python and I know that reading somebody else's code can be uh, joyous and wonderful. So I tried to keep this extremely simple as a very basic example, bear with me for a second. Uh, So here you can see is where I get that information from the other part of my scenario. I'm pulling in the features that I need in order to do API calls, the different packages. And I have specifically write my code that these are Python built-in libraries, meaning the, I, because I don't have control over installing packages on uh, Python libraries onto one SAS, I have to use what comes in Python. And as I do note in here, uh, and this, if, if, if Chris hasn't already disabled me this, uh, this will be disabled by the end of this presentation. But if, if I were wanting to be even a little more um, secure. I mean, nobody has access to this outside uh, my team, but I could uh, put this into a data store. I could encrypt this and store it within a database. There are a lot of different ways I could pull this information. Um, and so, the very first thing I'm doing is I'm doing a post to the Jamf Pro API to get my token. And assuming my token is good, then I'm doing another uh, get call to the classic API, some of you may recognize this, to get by the serial number. So my computer already knows its serial number. It doesn't know its asset tag number, but it knows its serial number. Uh, And then it's sending that information into Jamf and it's getting back the request. And I'm just saying, instead of having that XML path, like you might see if this was a shell script, I'm pulling out computer general asset tag. And then because I'm being a good citizen, I'm uh, breaking down the token, and then I'm returning the result back to. If I just did this as a webhook without the response, all I would get within that call is just it was received or it wasn't received. By doing the webhook response, I can actually send data back of what that asset tag was parsed uh, within my Python. Okay, great, Chad. But what does this have to do with running a, a JAMP policy script? Ah, uh, that's right. I'm going to
2: change my share to just be the code for a second.
4: So here we have a fairly standard uh, Rocketman rename computer script. Um, we're getting our parameter. If if somebody didn't pa- if champ for whatever reason didn't pass in dollar three, we're getting it through one of the many 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 ways of getting the last user. Um, if somebody didn't pass in parameter four, I'm passing in that exact URL. You saw me get from make, um, if time permitting, I will cover this, but just like what we were talking about earlier, um, in my, this is my shell script. This is what is running within my onboarding workflow. When the computer gets to the point of renaming its computer, it figures out its model number, uh, model name, excuse me. And if it contains the word book, it's a laptop. If it's not, it's a desktop. I'm then getting the asset tag from Jamf Pro. And this is where, uh, in this case, I'm hard coding this. Normally you would do a, uh, I'm surprised I don't have it in here, but you do like system profiler. Oh, it's right here. System profiler, get the serial number. Um, And I'm just doing a curl command, but instead of doing a curl command to Jamf Pro, I'm doing a curl command to my make webhook, and I'm just re- receiving whatever data comes back. And then I'm stitching it together. I'm saying, what's the kind, what's the asset tag and what's the user. And for today's purposes, since everybody knows how to do a Jamf policy script, I hope you'll forgive me for not taking the time to create a policy to run this and running. I'm just gonna run it here within this command. Now, what I'm going to do is put this back over to the right, share both of these screens again, and I can go ahead and run this script just as if a computer was checking with Jamf and being told, hey, I need you to rename yourself. When it gets to the part where it sends off that command, that query to make, uh, the joys of running a live demo
6: of technology.
1: You're doing great, Chad.
4: (laughs) I'm, I'm comfortable with how I'm doing. It's the computer I'm worried about. Okay.
2: Why, why aren't you running?
4: (sighs) Okay. Something didn't happen. I'm going to make one more attempt to run it as is. Um, It's funny, I had a decent error check in here to make sure it received valid data. I didn't check to see if it didn't do anything.
2: Let's do one more quick little check. Let's make sure that this is in fact the
6: address. Should be.
4: All right, well, that was good because it didn't change. So we're gonna try running it again.
2: Oh, okay.
4: I just didn't see it run because I was back here. We've got our success. So now just so I can show off, there we go. The webhook triggers, it runs the code. And even in here, then when I need to troubleshoot it, I can verify what information was sent in. I can verify what the input and output of the function was. And I can verify um, that the information was sent back through the webhook. And so now I get my asset tag, my model, uh, and my username. So the, the, the trick with this is I'm, I'm using an external system to do all the work for me. And it covers all of the challenges that I already had. These services already have the tools I need. In this case, I'm running Python. It has everything I need right there. By using an external system, I'm able to not put a username and password on everybody's computer, albeit how briefly the script, nothing on that computer contains the information about interacting with the API. It's all stored within this service. Whether that's a good thing or bad thing, where's your biggest threat, an external service or the users you have in your organization? Anyone who's done system security for any length of time knows that your greatest security threats are the people inside your organization, not the ones outside. Doesn't mean you ignore that. And it deals with, so I've got my parsing, I've got my security, uh, and I've got, uh, (laughs) I was actually about to say out loud, I've got a nice, reliable way of getting that information. Um, Perhaps that was a bit foolish of me. Um, And like I said, this is just one tool. This is just one example. But I, and in this particular example, I'm only pulling information from Champ. Uh, the other, I'm looking at the time and I don't know that I wanna go into this unless anybody really wants to see it. As you may have seen within my demo, I already had the hooks in there to ask for a key because as Chris pointed out, um, all I'm doing right now is getting information. The risk of somebody outside my organization finding out the serial number of one of my computers Finding my webhook URL, sending that query into the URL and getting back an asset tag and having something they can do with that asset tag is minimal. In this particular example, I would consider this to be a completely harmless, safe experiment. But what if my webhook is having it update information, update extension hook information? Uh, For those of you who have used our um, break glass admin account, uh we often store the um or we do store the rotating password within an extension attribute. If somebody has the same level of API access, and by the way, the user that I have <clears throat> created for this demo has exactly four check boxes, and I only need two of them. I have read for computers and read for extension attributes. Actually, I only need read for computers. I could have simplified that down to one. Um, this user has read and update for all four, for both of those, I mean, all four check boxes. Um, so, I mean, I can make this even more secure, but as Chris pointed out, there is, depending on how elaborate I make this, I still need to think about, because I'm sending data and because this is no, this is outside of my control, except for N8N um, running low, internally, somebody has the information and somebody has the know-how and they know what my hooks do you know, bad things can potentially happen. The demo that I that I put together for it. Um, yeah, are, uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I was going to show it up. The the demo I put together just simply adds an extra fork within my Integra map excuse me, make workflow. that says that if their information, that secret key was passed in, then go ahead and do the workflow you saw. Otherwise, there's a branch that goes up and all it does is return back a error 401 not authorized so now somebody also has to know in addition to what information about my webhook they need to know what key to pass in and there are different ways we could we could lock that down um, let's see is there anything else I can cover and now that I can actually see my chat window <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just sorry as I'm catching up with a different count. Comp- um, yes, and Eric, I love the fact that Eric, you've got that, that article, it's a good one. Um, and the, uh, yeah, show it to a large group of people. It's always fun. Any other, so I, it turns out I thought I was looking for questions. It was, uh, the, the running conversation, any questions about anything in my, in my presentation here, I'm going to unspotlight myself.
3: Can you go back to the list of um, of providers? Certainly. I was just wondering if there's there's any um, anything you discovered in terms of like advantages for one over the other. Is there anyone doing like rate limiting? Right. I can see that there's maybe some third parties that would not appreciate this at scale.
4: Um, yeah. So and by I could I could very much have my Integramat one. Um, I can I can. I can put a lot of security on it within that. It, what what it, Make doesn't have built into it is the ability to, to require a username and password or some sort of token in order to send that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, some of the other ones, uh, N8N, um, I don't think Zapier, Zapier, to answer your question about rate limiting, I'm pretty sure Zapier does. I am 99% sure Make does. I'm not sure about the others. And I know that you know, AWS and Google, any one of those toys, those big games guys are gonna have already answered and dealt with those questions. Did that answer your question, Zach?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, something I was curious about. Any other questions,
4: concerns,
2: commentary?
4: As Eric mentioned before, I know that the joys of being in zoom sometimes it takes a moment to get the mute turned off. Um, so just in the interest of keeping it from being dead air um, if something if you come up with something go ahead and unmute and ask or put it in the chat i'm keeping an eye on. Otherwise yeah this is this is this has been something we've been working on for a while trying to figure out the solve a number of problems at once from from security to. Reliability. Um, all right. Again, I'm using potentially the wrong word for that. Um, so, uh, Chris, I any? Mean, do you have any? Oh, I got one more chat. Thing came up in the chat. Oh, thank you, Dan.
0: Yeah, um, I'll, I'll chime in and talk a little bit about this. Um, so, thank you, Chad, for putting together this presentation and putting together this workflow. Um, as you may see, this isn't the simplest workflow in the world, and there's not it's not like we can simply give you a script to help you implement this, um, but this, if this is something that you're interested in as a security upgrade for your organization, and it's something that you think you'll have difficulty implementing, um, we'd love to have that conversation with you. As you know, we are a service provider, so I'm sure Chad would love to work with you to set this up and train you on how to utilize it in the
2: future.
1: Chris, great salesmanship there. It's always inspiring when we see our engineers doing sales. Love love to see it. Um, yeah, so if, we... you're,
3: if, you're, if you're wondering if if there's a way to pay us to, to implement this for you. <laughs>
4: <laughs> in, in case Chris wasn't subtle enough, Zach goes for it. Yeah. Nice,
1: nice job. I don't even think they need me here anymore.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Um, Well, only to get cash, Eric, because I take payment and like chocolate chip cookies. Although Bruce is offering up cookie cookie, tickets. So, depending, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, depending on how good of cookies they are. I am a sucker for cookies.
1: Remember, Chris, when you had, they brought cookies into our office and you had two of them and then you were just, your day was
0: over. That was just too much sugar intake for you. I don't do well with sugar. (laughs) Loves cookies. I get it. not great with sugar. Big spike of energy and then, and then I'm down for the, the rest of the day.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, uh, if we're talking about Chris's sugar crashes, we've definitely gotten through uh, the majority of the content that we have planned for this. I dare say all the content we had planned. Um, we do have, we got about five, six minutes left. Um, I know the Rocket Man team, we do have a hard stop at the top of the hour. Um, but if anybody has any questions that are in the realm of Apple management, Jamf, anything, what have you? Please feel free to lob
4: those out to us. Um, yeah, any anything you've been that's been on your mind? You just want to kind of brainstorm off of the other brains in the room.
8: Well, since you mentioned Intune earlier, um, I haven't played with it a bunch yet, but um, I was looking at uh, setting up some uh, compliance, and um, I tried deploying company portal, and it was just nasty um i was wondering i don't need to know the hows or anything right now i just want to know is there hope has anyone deployed company portal and not have it be just a mess because i mean I, it got there but it was just okay now the user has to click here then it'll pop a box telling the user now go here and click here and then click here and here and then if you've done all that correctly maybe we'll have you on in company portal <laughs> well,
0: uh, yeah it sounds about as easy as possible i don't know how they can make it easier
8: well you know how well microsoft <laughs> likes to play with apple
4: Yes.
0: Very, very well. And uh, Bruce, you
4: must not have been here for that one. The very first time that Joseph started speaking in one of this, everybody commented on his voice and we got him briefly to do a a little bit of a a radio blurb for us.
8: It's the top of the hour.
7: (laughs) 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 So are you using WebView for the integration?
8: I'm sorry, I'm using what?
7: Are you using WebView?
8: I'm not familiar with that.
7: So for the company portal app, are you integrating, uh, utilizing the Jamf payload? Like a, you're deploying the policy, right? Oh, a yeah. Package. It's installing, and then you're utilizing the, the Jamf Intune AAD uh, integration payload for the policy? Yes. As a separate policy, right? Correct. Are you utilizing WebView to install or to, to integrate Intune? Or are you using... Um,
2: just the native browser. I'm missing something here. Web view.
7: So, are you running into issues when you're integrating a computer in Intune from Jam? Uh, is are you running into issues utilizing the browser that pops well, up?
8: Yeah. Well, so basically what it is, is I've I've packaged it up, throw it in a a self-service policy just for testing purposes. Um, When I tried to install it from self-service, and it's been a few weeks now, so my memory is, um, I've I've tried to block it out at this point. It was so nasty. But uh, basically, it starts starts popping up. Um, I remember it popped up this little box. I've got screenshots of it somewhere, but it popped up this little box. In order to do this click here then authenticate then com- it, it sent them down this rabbit hole of clicking and doing things and i think at one point it brought up um uh endpoint management had them sign in there i know during during one of the tests i was already signed into endpoint management as me on my portal and the fact that it was already open screwed up the whole thing uh it got that box that came up telling them click continue on this stalled out you couldn't click continue You couldn't do anything
7: So you can't open company portal. What you do is you just install company portal and then you have a separate policy that runs to integrate it through the payload that Jamf has. And I'll send you a little one-liner here. And you're gonna wanna run this script. So what you're gonna wanna do is create two policy. One installs company portal. The second is gonna utilize the Intune payload. You follow me there? Yep. Um, And then you're going to want to run this script set to run before in the same um, policy as the payload. So where's, let me send this to you, Joseph. So if you open that up, that's, that's a one-liner you want to run. It's just a sudo minus you, you're targeting the user. Um, it pulls in the user from JAMP's parameters and then it runs uh, a management command from Jamf to use the web view instead of the browser and that should make it a little less painful. Just know that you never open the Intune or uh, the company portal app before you run this.
8: Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll, that gives me something I can play with. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for that.
7: And then it should be a lot smoother. You're welcome.
3: Yeah, and I think there's still some user interaction you can expect, which is what, what Chris was getting at, right? Um, if there's, there's you know, you do have to do the workplace join. There is a, a prompt for, you know, authentication for Jamf AAD, and then there's a, a keychain access prompt as well. So there are some things that that have to happen, but through the documentation in the chat here as well, right? It's Jamf, Jamf spells that all out, I think, pretty well.
8: Excellent. I appreciate that. I mean, obviously, I'd like to be able to do it completely silently, but it just doesn't seem like that's anywhere close to being an option.
3: You and me both. Um, and in many ways, the deprecation for on-prem conditional access is like a very cool opportunity for them to take some of these roadblocks
2: out of the way. I
6: got and uh,
4: for those, of, uh, Mark had posted in, in the chat uh, kind of a quick poll on if people were using Jams app installers. Um, and I know as, as Eric pointed, a lot of us do have a fairly hard cutoff, but um, if anybody has any particular, like I would love to hear from so far from what I've seen, app installers have a lot of potential, but right now they don't, yeah, they don't necessarily create that that much greater of an advantage than our existing workflows. Does anybody have a uh, super success story with app installers so far? Kind of what I thought. (laughs) I'm looking forward to seeing it, uh, seeing it evolve. It's got a lot of really great potential. I remember being super excited when they first talked about it, Um, way back, way back, back when we were still at the Guthrie for JNUC, um, that it was a work in progress and I know priorities got changed. Um, So it's great to see this kind of tool moving forward, but not quite there yet.
9: Yeah, I've uh, found that it's most useful to sort of, there's some basic apps we install on every machine. So during enrollment, I'll use it to sort of, I'll scope it to like a, essentially, a pre I have like a pre-deployment scope that I can use, so I can just say, okay, for these machines, put put all these things on it and and then I'll use the rest you know I'll, I'll sort of allow uh, my other pat, you know patch management tools to take over from there. It's yeah. odd that I found a few things like Adobe's apps, which we've normally been packaging and then using Adobe upda- you know remote update manager to maintain uh that remote update manager is kind of flaky and actually uh you know often updates will be available but for whatever reason update manager won't apply them it just refuses to apply them to certain versions of especially for acrobat which has just always been a flaky channel in my opinion but uh and it seems to work all the time with this method which is strange but i haven't But anyway, yeah, it's not ready for prime time, for sure.
8: Uh, You know, uh, we're a Jamf house, but um, I was listening to a Kanji pitch the other day, and Mm -hmm. they have something, apparently it's similar to app installers now. And they were saying that when they do theirs, apparently if the app needs it, it'll throw a a configuration profile out with the PPPC in there, with the system Mm -hmm. extensions if it needs it, all of that, and the notification settings automatically thrown out there. Does Jamf app installers do that? I haven't played with it yet.
9: Not that I'm aware of. One of the problems, I, other problems I find with it is the complete sort of black box nature of it right now. It's really not clear what's going on. It's very hard to like know when it's been installed on a machine and when it's going to be installed on a machine. Um, there's very little. It, it's still sort of, would love to see more about that too. So I could know if it's working. It's hard to test it if I don't know what's going on.
8: <laughs> yeah, I've, that's that's been my impression as well.
9: Yeah, answering Adonis's
7: um, statement here, he says, "Has anyone seen an issue where apps being updated by Jamf App Catalog are just being deleted?" That is one of the major issues with this because some applications, um, let's just use web browsers for example, they'll in the top right that'll say, "You know, update now." Uh, That doesn't occur when you're deploying an application from Jamf App Catalog. So, like Chrome will just close and be updated to the new version without giving um, any time for the end user to to exit the application or save their work. And the, and the same is true across other applications. So that's one of the biggest issues I've seen um, with the app catalog right now and, and why I don't feel comfortable
9: using it for like a, a patch management scenario. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I've also been only keeping it in scope when uh, the machine isn't in the user's hand, basically. So once it's been deployed and I get the apps on there, I can use my own patch management further, but it it does present it. Yeah. I I would prefer that there was some kind of way to give users a choice. Some options. Yeah. If they add
7: that functionality to it, like a pop-up, or some kind of Jamf helper notification saying, hey, Chrome wants to update and, and provide uh, the ability to defer. That would add a lot of you know versatility to it instead of just forcing
9: back down. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I will say in that particular case too though, I do really want to just have a button where I could just press it and make all my users' Chromes restart because every single time I Pop into a user's machine, and they're saying, "Yeah, something's not working." There's the update button on their Chrome. They've got 900 tabs open, and they've never (laughs) restarted Chrome or their machine. You know, so yeah, you know, users, what are you going to do?
2: And here, I thought you were looking at my particular computer right before the demo,
4: but yeah, I know what you mean.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and talking about app installers, as Rob mentioned in the chat, it's still in preview. So, I'm sure there's a lot of this stuff coming. Um, obviously, it would be great if I just checked the box and it worked with the past patch management engine and just kept everything up to date as well as deployed
10: it. But I hope that's coming. Yeah, I would say sign up to the betas. Um, yeah, if you're, I'm assuming people are part of the beta program, but um, in the beta, there's some updates there. So, I would say join, go to Jamf Nation, sign up, go to your account.jav.com and check the betas. more stuff there that's all Mm -hmm. but but yeah it's preview. Uh, I just presented it in Munich and in uh, London about kind of app installers and it was like feedback file feedback because we're watching it and um yeah it's again preview it's I think it has some like if you look at how it's designed like you have Jamf Pro you have this you know Jamf just turned 20 Jamf Pro's been around for a long time um, but like the whole idea of Jam Pro, it's like Jam Pro is the you know Tomcat Java app in the back end and it's full of APIs and like those are all internal bits and bobs, and you have like a GUI front end, right? And then the GUI communicates the back, but then there's all these different objects and trying to integrate something that's app installers, I think, just in JAMF in general, is like you can only go so far before you have to like change the scaffolding that is so deep that it's like, okay, how are we gonna do that without breaking everything yeah. else? Right? So it's, it's, it's something that's extremely new um, and it is using a lot of the patch database and stuff like that. But it's, uh, and there's a, a lot of really smart people working on it, but it's, it's just a fine line between not screwing up everyone's Jamf instance at the same time of trying to offer patch, right? So hence why it's preview, yeah. try it, mm-hmm. feedback, and then we can try to make it better. Yeah.
2: Oh, no, thanks, for that Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one last thing MCM. before
7: we
4: oops sorry, Chris.
2: Uh, was just, well,
7: one last thing before we close. The we got 10 upvotes on that feature request during this meeting. So thank you everybody for that, for Tom's feature request.
11: I have one last question if you have a time for it. <clears throat> sure. Uh, it's about um, usage statistics. Um, we're paying for uh, lab stats, and it seems pretty redundant because all that information is already in Jamf. But in lab stats, you can get information for entire groups of computers, and in Jamf, it's individual. Um, now, I was able to use the API to like dump out a bunch of stuff into a CSV, do some Excel magic, and kind of make a report that sort of does that. Um, but I was just kind of curious what the more general uh, usage is, and if anybody else is using use statistics like that, if they're using lab stats, or if there's some way to get that information out of Jamf that makes it easier for admin to read, you know?
2: Um, So I'm not familiar with lab stats.
0: Um, So what specifically is that?
11: It really isn't much. It it runs a little, background process on the computers that gives usage information about like when they're logged into. and okay. what. I Actually, I don't even know if they, if they get granular to what apps they use. It's like super basic information.
3: But, it's like you said, it's, it's not collecting the information. That's the problem, right? It's the aggregating and sorting.
11: Yeah. And then, you know, we'll have issues with like lab stats installations. It's not reporting correctly to the server. And it all just seems like useless time for me to be spending on it when all that information is already in Jam plus more. So, yeah if I can just get it out somehow, you know, in a way that admin can look at it non-technically.
0: Yeah, so there's a, I know Jamf has a Splunk integration that does, I think everything you're looking for, but that's only if you have Splunk.
3: There's a few data integrations with with Jamf Pro, but um, ultimately the thing that they're doing is the same thing that you're doing with the API and the spreadsheet, right? Mm
11: Yeah, exactly. They're just putting in the GUI that admin will look at. And I, you know, I just didn't, if there was an easier way to do that in JAMP, that'd be great, but I haven't found any. Um, It just seems silly to, you know, keep the subscription service going. That's like not giving us anything. Yeah,
0: I guess, where are you trying to put the information?
11: So basically there's a group of administration that base their purchasing decisions off of that lab stats data. So if a particular lab is not being used very much, it doesn't get updated very often. If a lab is getting used all the time, it gets updated more, et cetera, et cetera. Um, They use it for purchasing decisions, um, which departments get more money based on which departments have more computers that get used, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're just using it to know kind of what computers are being used. Um and there's that information plus much more granular information in JAMF, but only if you look at like each individual computer profile. I can't just say like this group of computers give me the usage information for them.
0: Yeah. No, there's not like an easy report you can create as far as I know. I mean, you can do like some searching. Um like th- there's some searches you can do that can be useful information, but it's not like the type of nice GUI I'm sure you get with lab stats.
11: Right. So is um, that normal? Do other people use the same kind of stuff? Or they they have usage reporting software that they use? I mean, I can't imagine that this is a unique situation. I mean, for every university that has labs, does it?
10: I'm working with the university right now, and they're using Power BI. And there's a pretty good tutorial in a JNF talk on Power BI integration. And they're pulling information from Jam Pro into Power BI to give that dashboard to some of the... People that need the dashboard.
11: Okay, all right. I will look into that. Thank you.
10: If you're already part of Azure, you get Power BI Basic, and then I'm not even sure now what the license is. Like Microsoft license dance is a dance, so I'm not sure with what is what. But I know power, there is some Power BI integration there. Saves you from installing Splunk if you already have Azure.
0: Yeah, I think this is the presentation. I'm gonna drop it in the chat. Who's talking about?
10: Yeah, and I think there. Yeah, if you and if you. Google it, you'll, you'll find that there is an actual, I think, uh, um, either a knowledge base and or like a kind of tutorial that linked out from it. Uh, it actually, it's linked on the Marketplace. If you go to Power BI Marketplace, there is some information there
11: as well. That's great, thank you.
1: All right, I think I will use this chance to go ahead and be the bad guy and pull a plug on this. Uh, thank you guys every mu- very much for coming to this meetup. We will be doing the next meetup on August 5th at noon mountain time which will be the first friday of august Uh, i'll try and get out some invites here um, quicker than one day ahead of time that's usually the goal sometimes it doesn't work out Um, if anybody has any sort of other questions or burning topics that they need to get out please please feel free to email us or reach out to us and either we'll try and answer some of those questions or try and do a presentation on it as always we would love to have any guest speakers. If you have something really cool you're proud of and you want to share with the uh, the team here, feel free to do that as well. Um, I think there's all sorts of different ways to get a hold of us for for any of those types of topics. Um, we'll see you guys all next month. Thank you so much for coming out, and I think that is. Uh, we will go ahead and call it a wrap. Take care,
5: everyone. Thank you, everybody.
0: Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us today. We have new episodes on the first Friday of every month. If you'd like to join our session live, visit the link in the description to get on our mailing list. And if you're looking to get the most out of your Jamf server, visit rocketman.tech to set up a meeting with one of our Jamf experts. That's rocketman.tech.